Much is expected of college students, good grades for many while working on the side, plus meeting the challenges of independence that come with the onset of adulthood. This focus on self can strike others as narcissistic and lacking in concern for the outside world. But that's not how some UC San Diego professors see their students. Well, I think in my 20 years as a professor here, uh, one thing I've noticed is that colleagues will often say, well, you know, the students are so passive and apathetic, and uh, it's not like it was in the 60s, and um, too bad that they're not involved. And that wasn't my experience at all. And now I, I get a different constituency of students because I get a lot of first-generation college Mexican-American students of color. So I've always found that they've actually been very engaged and very anxious to make uh, a contribution beyond their academic careers and off campus. So it, it was clear that there was no outlet um, around UCSD for what they aspired to. And you often hear young people say, I want to make a difference. And it's kind of a vague sentiment that they're expressing. Um, so um, we felt, uh, Professor David Pellow and I uh, felt that it was important to create a class that would expose these students to professional activists, people who are working in the community and actually making a difference. The class is a senior seminar on social movements in San Diego. Uh, the purpose of this class, as you know, is to bring students and community activists from Southern California together to raise questions and to initiate conversations that rarely occur on this campus with the hope of producing new ideas and new collaborations between the university and community-based organizations for social change both on and off campus. The activists invited to meet the students on this day run a program for victims of domestic violence in Mid-City, a neighborhood of immigrants. Today we have two very special guests joining us here at UC San Diego's Cross-Cultural Center. They are Arik Strzelecki and Dilkwas Ahmed. Mr. Strzelecki came to the United States as a refugee from Poland in 1986. He has a law degree from Mikiewicz University in Poland. He currently serves as the executive director of the organization License to Freedom. He has 20 years of experience in community work, 14 of that in providing direct services to battered refugee and immigrant women and children. Dilkwas Ahmed is a Kurdish women's rights activist from Iraq. She earned a degree in psychology from Baghdad University in 1988. For four years, she was an executive director of the Wadi Organization for Women in Sulaymania, northern Iraq. She was granted political asylum in the United States in 2001 and was resettled here in San Diego. Presently, she is the program coordinator and case manager for License to Freedom where she provides direct crisis intervention services for battered refugee and immigrant women from Middle Eastern and African communities. She also facilitates immigrant women's support and educational groups and is a member of the domestic violence response teams in El Cajon and Mid-City. So please join me in welcoming our two guests, Arik Strzelecki and Dilkwas Ahmed. Thank you. Thank, thank you for inviting us here. It's a pleasure and honor. Um, again, I am originally from Poland. I came to this country as a refugee. Uh, I didn't speak much English 20 years ago, um, and uh, I didn't plan it, but I ended up working in, 
community-based organizations which uh, provide assistance for uh, um, uh, newly arriving refugees and immigrants in this country. I also did not plan to work, I never thought that I'm going to be working at, uh, with a domestic violence program. And uh, I started that work in 94 in uh, working full-time in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, for an average man, average immigrant man, uh, that uh, job was a both very challenging but also very uh, rewarding uh, journey for me. Uh, it wasn't easy and I had to, just like any of uh, us, I had to uh, challenge myself and, and I have to continue doing this. Um, like David mentioned, I got that pretty nice reward from um, award from Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which uh, uh, came with a nice amount of money, which allows me to come here and uh, uh, start a program, License to Freedom, which was supposed to, um, which is responding to the needs of uh, refugee and immigrant women uh, who are victims of uh, domestic violence. Uh, our um, a program is focused on uh, communities from Africa, Middle East, former Soviet Union, and uh, Eastern Europe. Well, Tilkwas, would you like to jump in? And uh... My name is Dilkwas Ahmed. I'm originally Kurdish from north of Iraq. I came to United States on September 1st, 2001. <laughs> I was a women's rights activist. I was invited by United States to come to participate in a conference and talk about the issue of civil society in, and the issue of women's rights in Iraq. So unfortunately, I wasn't be able to go back to my country. I was granted asylum in 2002. And uh, in Iraq, I used to work for women's rights uh, issues, and I established centers for uh, abused uh, women. My family are from a small village called Halabja, which was attacked by chemical weapon in 1988. 30% uh, of my family died by this chemical attack, and including my father, he was paralyzed for eight years. After eight years, he died. Well, when I came to United States, after I applied for political asylum, I applied for my family to come and join me. I have three kids, and uh, after three years, they let my kids to come to United States. And I'm here after five years and four months, they denied my husband's visa. He couldn't pass the security check because his last name is Mohammed. But the good thing in my life happened here when I start working in License to Freedom, especially I start working with Eric as a good human being. We are very small. Dilkwas and me, that's License to Freedom. <laughs> Paid stuff. But there is a whole bunch of volunteers and committee members who are helping us. When we started, we wanted to provide services which traditionally are not provided for refugee and immigrant women by mainstream domestic violence program. Usually what is done is counseling, shelter, uh, legal assistance, restraining orders, uh, um, criminal uh, procedures, etc. Uh, what we wanted to do is community organizing, groups, employment for uh, victims of domestic violence, driving license or education, body conditioning classes, uh, celebrations, etc., etc. We, we believe that this is the most important thing. We believe that we cannot really tackle that problem by sitting 
uh, behind our desk and being a part of the system. Uh, we believe that com building community capacity uh, is the only way to really um, make a difference because only community can change cultural norms which uh, support violence um, against women. My experience started when I work here in the United States. I feel that any experience I had it in Iraq, it was so weird <laughs> because I came from different kind of culture. Even I tried to do a lot for Iraqi women over there, but I couldn't find any support by the system, by the culture, by the religion, by the society. Everything was against me. And the most important thing when I face it every day here, when I go to, with a woman to, to court to file for restraining order, there is no questioning. They never ask women why he beat you. But in my country, when I even used to go with a woman with a lot of bruise in her eyes, the judge has to ask her why he beat you. So at least in this country, we believe that there is no excuse for domestic violence. So the American courts have been receptive, but only to the victims who can get there. Part of the problem these activists found was that San Diego's domestic violence services catered to English and Spanish-speaking women. But when someone called who spoke Arabic or Russian, there was no one on the line who could help her. And uh, what I learned here in License to Freedom, I learned that even we live in San Diego as a second largest county in California, uh, according to 2000 U.S. Census, there is a 22% of San Diego population born foreigner, and there is a 33% of San Diego population speak other language than English at home. And there is more than 130 thousand Middle Eastern people lives here. Despite of the high percentage of refugee and immigrant women, there is no any program that meet or help these people accept license to freedom. After explaining the need for their services to these students, Arik and Dilquaz went on to describe their unique approach to assisting these women, teaching them to drive. We are very fortunate to receive funding from Blue Shield of California Foundation to provide driver's license education. Uh, it means that we not only help women to prepare for the written or verbal test, but also we pay for their uh, actual driving classes. It changes their life. They go to school, they start working, they are able to meet new friends. On this night, a woman from Ukraine living in a shelter in downtown San Diego slips out for a road lesson. She will spend many hours with this instructor, mastering the skills of driving on city streets, freeways, and parking lots like this one here at UC San Diego. Across campus on this same night, another group of UCSD students is presenting a play as part of a national campaign to reduce violence against women. The play is the Vagina Monologues, and the students, all volunteers, will give 90% of the ticket sales to License to Freedom. Donating time to this project proved to these young women that they could help themselves by helping others. This is, for me, one of the most amazing causes on this campus. We raise a ton of money, but not only that, through this show, so many people um, find a voice, and um, we raise awareness about 
all sorts of issues facing women, but in particular about violence against women. I became involved in the Vagina Monologues last year as the publicity manager, and just it was one of the best community-building experiences I've had on this campus. I, for the first two years, felt very detached at UCSD. It's such a large campus. You just kind of get lost in your activity of going to daily you know, classes, going to lecture. And then after I got involved with the Vagina Monologues, I felt like I had a community of sisters and genuine friendships. And from that, I decided to step up to the plate and kind of help run things this year and bring that experience to another group of girls. Arik and Dilquaz are here and are surely pleased to hear what these young women have to say. These two people running this whole organization, helping hundreds of women a year, is just inspiring to all of us. And we just love giving to them to help them continue to do the work they're doing. They are so moved by what we do here and what we give them each year because it's from a group of women who know where they're coming from and who know what they're fighting for. And as Arik from Poland and Dilquaz from Iraq mingle with these young Americans, they are spreading the word about their particular brand of activism. Much as they did in the classroom the week before. None of them speak English, so how can we expect them to go to access services. The other thing, they are afraid of reporting the abuse to the police. As we understand, most of immigrant women, they came from the country, they were being executed by the police. So they are afraid to report the abuse to the police. And the other thing, refugee and immigrant women, they hold a huge beliefs, uh, religious belief. So whatever we do, sometimes they go to the pastor or they go to the imam, and the pastor and imam, it depends how they are informed about the issue of domestic violence, and most of them, they encourage the woman to go back to the abuser to cycle of violence. But, you know, despite of these barriers, both with the mainstream and at home, we have a successful woman who went through our program and successfully uh, broke the silence, uh, the cycle of violence. And I would like to talk of, uh, about one of our clients, uh, an Iraqi woman. Uh, she got married when she was 18. Her husband, he's an Iraqi US citizen. He went to Jordan to meet with her and he married her. He brought her to the United States. She was 18 years old. They got married. He promised that he's going to be a very nice husband, respect her, and she fell in love with him. And she wanted to have a good family with respectful and have children with him. But later on, he, in the first step, he tried to control her activities by telling her, you are so beautiful, I don't want you people taking your advantage. So he didn't let her to go to school and learn English or get some information about American justice system. One day, when she went to mall, she has to return on something. The cashier asked her that you have to have social security in order to return your, she didn't know what social security. So she went home, she asked her husband, I want my social security. He yelled on her and he beat her, he slapped her, he slammed her against the wall and she started crying. Her American neighbor, she heard her crying. In the morning, she asked her, why this bruise on every night? I hear you crying, what's going on? She say, my husband, he beat me every night. And uh, she say, you can call the police. She said, I'm afraid because I, 
I, my green card is expired, and every time he tell me, if you call the police, I will send you back to Iraq. And the situation is Iraq is not good for me to go there. Later on, her friend was look at her uh, green card. He told her, you are in a big trouble. Now you are undocumented. You can first face problem anytime. You have to ask your husband to apply for your uh, immigration status. She went there and she told him, well, I need my immigration status. He yelled on her again. He slammed her against the wall. He shocked her and... Uh, she, uh, he slapped her twice. So she skipped to her neighbor. She called the police. The police arrived within five minutes. They arrested him. And uh, from there, the police called me because of uh, domestic violence response team. We are in a connect with uh, police department. They called me, and I went there to Grossman Hospital. I met her there. She was laying on her back with a lot of bruises. She was afraid when I went there. She thought that I'm the police who are going to take her to deportation. And she felt so comfortable when I spoke her language. So I provided some services for her. First, we went to court. We filed for a restraining order. And she got restraining order and kick out order. Kick out order is with a restraining order that your husband has to leave a house and she can stay there. So she was staying at her house and uh, while she was staying there, we helped her. We get her in link with the um, immigration pro bono. On November, she got her green card and work authorization and she can go travel to any place she wants. And uh, while she was with our program, we helped her to get uh, uh, driver license education. I helped her through our program. She passed the written test in the, at the DMV. And later on, driving behind the wheel, she got some, uh, uh, I think, 20 hours uh, free driver license education. Now she's driving. She's going to the college, and on uh, February 15th, I think, last hearing for her divorce, uh, now she's successfully. You were speaking about um, that one specific woman who is having trouble um, adjusting to American culture, and if you guys are trying to help provide employment opportunities, I was wondering if those were appropriate to the women's culture, because I, I would assume that it would be very hard to just jump into a job that was completely different than what any woman would know. Yes, most of the women actually want to work. And um, if you look at the communities here, uh, let's say Somali community, uh, where most of the women are uh, um, covered, they're Muslim women, uh, they wear hair covers, um, and traditionally they never had a job outside home. The old duties were inside uh, uh, the house. At this moment, many of those women are working, and actually, we—I can tell you a little um, uh, story. We had a—we um, found a relationship, a kind of connection with one of the big uh, um, corporation here in San Diego through Temp Agency. And at that time, we probably had about 15 women uh, going through our uh, uh, driver's license classes. We told them about possibility of getting job, and uh, about 15 of them said, yes, we would like to go for it. So um, uh, Leila, one of our um, African advocates who worked for us in that time, uh, organized everything, and she took, we took probably about uh, 15 women there, about 9, 10 women from Somalia, and about 5 women from, a couple of women from, I think, Iran and Iraq, and 3 Russian women. Uh, well, all the 5 women 
who are not Somali were offered the job. Those eight or, or, or ten Somali women did not. They were as smart, as bright, sharp, and the only difference were, was their color and the, the, the way they dress and uh, the, where they are coming from. Being male and working um, for a nonprofit organization that directly services um, our refugee immigrant women, um, I wanted to ask you if that was um, a difficult experience for you um, and that if there were uh, certain limitations um, that you felt uh, you had just simply being male, uh, that it limits the degree to which you can relate or the degree to which you can invest your time and your efforts uh, to, to help women as much as you can. And uh, I guess um, I'm, I'm even curious as to what it was in your own personal experience that may have motivated you to really be able to, um, uh, I guess, be an example for a lot of us males who, who want to be in solidarity with women um, for um, uh, being able to assure that they receive rights as well, and yet recognizing that um, by simply being males, we already have privilege and we don't have the same experiences. Uh, it's really, really important questions, uh, which very often uh, those issues which, which, you, which you talk about are not addressed and, and not discussed um, uh, within um, the, the DV field, the domestic violence field, uh, especially here in San Diego, and there are more men involved actually than in other parts of the country, which is both good and, but there are some serious concerns. Uh, I have to remember all the time about my limitations, like you said. I mean, they are there. Um, I would always try to have a first uh, interaction with, uh, and I work mostly with the Russian-speaking uh, women because uh, I speak some Russian, not very good, but I do. Uh, so I would always ask somebody to be with me during the first meeting. Um, uh, I would never hear the whole story and I never expect it. So I am not there to provide counseling or, or to sit and listen and to support. I am not, that's not my role. And so usually my role is more technical. Go get pro bono attorney, get transportation. Dilquas uh, is the person who will provide that part which I cannot. Or we have to find, if this is somebody who doesn't speak the language, we have to find another person who was in our program, uh, a woman. So. Uh, uh, I, I have to remember about that limitation. I have to remember that I, I have privileges. I am a white man with a U.S. citizenship that I speak even with a broken English, but I speak English. I can communicate. I have a car. I have a safe home. Uh, I have to remember all the time about that. Uh, I think we all have to, not only male. Um, it, it is so important for us to be involved in the movement as, and, and be allies or, or, or be in solidarity with the uh, uh, with women, because community members have to hear that violence against women and children is wrong and is not going to be accepted also from us. It is so important that my son, my daughter, uh, and the other kids there, and also adults, and also women will hear it also from us. So this is very important. Uh, it, is, it was very difficult for me, actually, to, to be in this field, because just like any other uh, man uh, who is coming from Eastern Europe, I um, assume authority and, and, and to be a boss and, and uh, whatever I name my authority, but I, I believe that I have a right um, to, to tell what to do or not to do, to, to, 
women in my family. So it was very challenging. And um, uh, I was, when I was trying to get a training, actually I was not accepted in Atlanta in that time in uh, 94, none of the shelters will give me, will give me training. I was not able to, to, to get to the training. Uh, so I met immigrant women actually from South Asia and from uh, Latin America who uh, helped me, challenged me, and told me that the first thing, my first work is not to go outside and try to change the world, but to change myself. And, and it was a long process and it was quite painful because they were very honest and, and, uh, and great friends and mentors. You mentioned that religious leaders sometimes serve as a barrier. In what ways do you and the people that you work with um, approach overcoming that issue? In which way? Well, we try to do as much as we can do for the women, but as I mentioned, these women are holding a big religious belief, but we try to provide a lot of uh, support for them due the you know, violence. We try to tell them that how the effect of domestic violence on her and her children. We try to tell her that she deserves to have a better life and uh, she deserves to live without violence. We try to give her many, many options. We can't force her and we can't tell her what to do, but we give, we try to support her and give her a lot of options. But when it comes to religious leaders, were you successful in uh, talking to imams? No, no, I try. It's, I'm not afraid, but I tried a lot. I went to mosque, I went to church. They don't want to hear from us. They don't because we are a threat. We are a big threat of the community. They know if they listen to us and these people lose their powers and they like to keep their powers by, uh, because they consider themselves as a religious leader and they are the one who has to solve the problem of this uh, family. And which is what? Telling them to go back to the abuser, even he know that he beat her again. But as I mentioned, we have some barriers, women go back to the cycle, and we have successful women who break the cycles. But we try to do, we try just to give her option and provide services for her, and uh, tell her many, many things about what she can do and give her some example about some woman who, how the community, the church, the mosque restrain her, but she did it and she's successfully now. If you would like to help us, please give me a call, right? We have many opportunities, starting with the administrative things, uh, developing our web page. Uh, we don't have any PR materials, and we don't have a logo. If any of you um, know how to draw or, or, or have paintings like this or help us develop a logo, brochures, uh, uh, please call us. There is always something to do. Even if you have very limited uh, time, uh, it's always great. We will definitely benefit from that. Okay, well on that note, uh, I'd like to thank you for an outstanding presentation. License to Freedom. Thank you. Thank you.